Uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. It is hot. And today I'm talking about challenges and I'm talking about suffering. And so I just turned it up to like 90 in here and said, this is going to be it. And I'm joking. But I am uh, literally cutting part of my sermon. We're going to get to our cookout. I basically took out all the jokes. They weren't going to hit anyway. I know. It's 50-50 if my jokes work anyway. So we just went for it. We took those out. And so we're going to go in here. But one of the things that we're talking about today is Elijah. And I am going off my uh, notes right here because I'm going to talk about, we have a thing in our family called Friday Night Confessions. Friday Night Confessions, it's in Marty and Marcy's, and we've kind of brought it into us. Is that Friday Night Confessions, you can say anything, and you're like, you, this is when you confess all the things that you have done, all the hurts that you have that you want to throw out there to people, all the bad thoughts that you had about people. And it's just these things, if you did something bad, you get Friday Night Confessions. I stood up here yesterday, or last week, if you remember, at the end, and I said, I am going to fix the uh, air conditioner because we had the same problem last week. But here we are, and the air conditioning is not fixed. I came in last night at 9 p.m., and I turned it down to, like, 56 degrees. And uh, I think I just froze the thing. And so I came, and I said, Lord... I'm preaching on Elijah, I'm preaching on the fire coming down, I'm preaching on like how do we have this kind of level of faith, how do we have challenges, and I wanted to cry, because I am a little bit of a freaker outer, I don't know if you've noticed about me, my elder team is not a freaker outer, so I called Mark at 6 in the morning, because that's when I was here, and he says, hey, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, but we basically found about this much ice in that when we opened it up. So we poured a bunch of hot water down there. And so it is pumping, but it's going very slow. So anyway, here's the biggest thing. We're talking about challenges, and we're talking about suffering, so we can suffer through the sermon, all right? Let's go. For many of us, we are going through challenges, and we have just one of the challenges of being a pastor is that you get to know everyone's stuff. And it's, it's also a blessing because I get to walk alongside people as you're going through stuff, but it's also a lot to take in. And I know... In this room, just making eye contact with many of you, I know what's going on in your family, with your friends. I know broken relationships. I know medical conditions that people have. I know raising rent situations where people are just like, I don't know how this is going to happen. And there's so many challenges that are happening right now. And so this sermon is meant to be encouraging to you and also challenging to you because it's challenging to me. Because like I said, I'm a little bit of a freaker outer, and this is something that I'm growing in. And I have had so much healing in the last year in this. And the elder team has been incredibly graceful to me to help me along this way because they are this position. And you'll see this in Elijah's life. They basically say, not in our time, but in the providence that you provide, Lord, this is when you are going to move. And so the Lord has us, but it's still in my nature to freak out. It is, it is. And in my flesh, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to figure this out. Oh my gosh, in my flesh, I got to call Mark and we got to talk about this at 6 a.m. and try to figure out this situation. I'm an Enneagram 6. Raise your hand if you know your Enneagram number. All right, so, okay, quite a few. Enneagram is like a, a personality test. Some people believe in it, some people don't. Either way, I would probably have classic six tendencies, all right? And so one of the things that you see is that one of the, the classic six is we are excellent troubleshooters. That's a nice way of saying it. My wife would say you are able to see every problem that could possibly come. But I like to think of it as a spiritual gift. 
I like to think of, I'm a problem fixer, and I'm a problem seer. It's a spiritual gift. She would not call it that, but she would call it something else, and I can't use those words. But we, she would say, Enneagram 6, I am a freak around her. I just am, and I'm a troubleshooter. And so oftentimes, I run on stress. You guys see this about me. This is Friday Night Confessions. I can handle a lot of stress. I can run with a lot of balls in my hand. I will complain about them, and it will also lead to anxiety, right? Everyone knows this about me. It's, it's okay. Friday Confessions, you guys have no judgment on this. But what's happening is when the Lord wants us, when the Lord gives us challenges, when there's challenges and stress that come into our life, the Lord wants us not to stress but with joy, he wants us to keep pressing forward. He doesn't want us to complain. And what he is doing is I believe that he's building up our faith muscles. He's building up our faith muscles. The purpose of this series, of this mind-blowing faith, is to say, hey, what are some crazy stories? Elijah would be like the top one when it comes to crazy stories. It's crazy story after crazy story after crazy story. But it's also to build up our faith. And so today we're going to talk about this because our faith adventure needs muscles. The church has become apathetic. Our faith muscles are very, very, very weak. I'm just going to say it. There's a reason that I thank God that it's 90 degrees in here because it is important for us to build up those faith muscles. Now, when I was in high school and I was in college, I was a competitive uh, miler and distance runner. And so that's kind of what I always did. I was the weirdo in school. I think I graduated at like 130 pounds. I wore really short shorts and was really awkward in general. And I would run a ton of miles. But one of the things that people think of is like when you say, okay, I want to get better at running, the answer usually is, well, then just go run, right? Like if you want to become better at runner, runner you think, I'm just going to start running more. But really what we see is that there's a ton of science around running. And so one of the workouts that I would do on a regular was this run called the Fartlek Run. That's its name. I didn't make it up. It's Swedish. It's not spelled the way that you think it is, but it's the Fartlek Run. And the Fartlek Run is basically speed variables, okay? So you run fast for an extended period of time and then slow for an extended period of time. So you might run two minutes really hard and you back off one minute two minutes hard, one minute, and you would do that for 40 minutes to 60 minutes. And what's happening is that your body is basically doing this thing where you're building up lactic acid. So when you see running, running races or people that are fast, it can really be summed up in this. This is what the body is. When you see great distance runner, particularly uh, long distance runners, they are no faster than you really are. They basically have done the work and they've done the stress to build up lactic acid tolerance in their body. Lactic acid is basically what your muscle produce in waste, right? So when you have less oxygen coming into your system than can handle the waste that your muscles are producing, you get lactic acid. If you've ever run any extended period of time, if, you, if you've ever run a marathon, you know this to be true, there is this thing called the wall. You're going to hit the wall. You're going to run. You're going to feel great. And then all of a sudden, you don't feel great. And that's the wall. And basically what it is is your lactic acid is so built up in your body that you cannot bring in enough oxygen into your system to get rid of the waste that your muscles are happening. So the higher intensity the run, the more lactic acid we create. And so fartlek runs 
build up this lactic acid tolerance. And so when you see great runners, if you watch the Olympics, basically you're watching people who have worked harder and who know how to push past pain more than any of y'all. Yeah. That's basically it. So there is a distance running where they're just freaks that are better. I understand that. But they work, work, work. And it's just summed up to this, building up your lactic acid and getting rid of it. Here's a picture of me in high school, just so you know. Face should look more like this. This is me hitting my lactic acid uh, thing. And this is actually uh, in, our, in our local paper. It's also why I didn't get many dates, because that was in our, our, our paper. But this is what sometimes face should look like. Sometimes face should look like that. Sometimes it's just gritting through and the challenges, and you got that lactic acid buildup. You can kill that picture. There's a lot of people laughing still. Thanks, brother. Now, I think that we don't look at this enough as believers. Our faith sometimes needs to look like we're building up lactic acid, and that's okay. I say this almost every week, but if we're going to be the church that God desires us to be, we have to build up our faith muscles. We have to push past challenges. We have to push past uh, suffering. We have to push past our struggles. But I think many people hit the faith wall. They get a little bit of struggle. They get a little bit of faith lactic acid build up. And what do they do? They become jaded. They fall away. They get less committed. They become apathetic. They hit the wall. And when we look at our faith journey, sometimes you're going to hit the wall. And that's okay. But what we're going to see is that the church, for us to live this faith, has to, like I say all the time, look more like a CrossFit gym than a concert. And so that's what we're going to talk about because we're going to look at Elijah and how he builds up the faith lactic acid. And so we're excited about that. It's interesting. When you look at the story of Elijah, everyone knows the story of him going against the prophets of Baal and the fire coming down. But what you see is that there's this progressive nature to Elijah's story where God is walking him through this progressive story of building up enough faith tolerance to take on the prophets of Baal. Sometimes we just think of these guys as just amazing humans that just go for it. But what we see is that God over and over again is building up these. <laughs> Elijah's really going on a fart lick run. Like he is just like, he is just building up these faith muscles. And so we're going to see this because I think we need to put ourselves in Elijah's shoes. And you'll see these challenges that God comes through. And no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what you faced in the past, no matter what you're facing right now or you'll face in the future, if we build up these faith muscles, we'll believe that God's going to come through and we'll be able to build up our faith tolerance that it will not shake us when we need the Lord to move. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to dig into 1 Kings. 1 Kings, before we start, whenever you read, uh, it's particularly the Old Testament, it's so important for us to talk about, okay, what's going on? Let's set the stage. And so what we see is that the book of Kings tells the story of the kings after David, okay? So David's dead, and we see Solomon. Solomon comes into the picture. Solomon builds the temple, but then what we see is that they progressively, starting with Solomon, all the kings start to run Israel into the ground. It's much like the book of Judges. I don't know how else to say it, but the book of Judges is a story of failure after failure after failure. You see the book of Kings is similar, where it's just like this progression of running it into the ground. Solomon starts making horrible choices. One of those choices is he starts marrying the daughters of other kings. 
And he does this for political purposes. He starts marrying these other daughters of other kings. And so he brings them in. But what happens is he starts adopting the gods of these other kings. And when he adopts them, they start mixing into the worship that the Israelites have. And so what we see is that there's this pattern that continues and the kings, many of the kings do the same thing. And so it starts to get in, it starts to get weird, and it starts to get like just not really good stuff. And so what we see is that the kings come up and at some point, basically the, 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 the kingdom splits. So you have a southern kingdom and you have a northern kingdom. And Elijah is gonna speak to the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom is the line of Judah. This is the line of David. They're called Judah. It's the line of David, and it's going to have Jerusalem. And then there's this northern kingdom that happens, and you, now you have rival kingdoms going on. There's a lot going on when you look at Elijah's time. So this brings us to 1 Kings, starting in chapter 17, where we see these prophets entering. Now, one of the jobs of the prophets is much different than how we think of prophets today. It's very important for us to see, to see this. I don't think the role of prophets has changed today. We just act like it changed. The role of the prophet was to hold people accountable, in particular leaders accountable. And so he would speak to the kings. He'd say, whoa, 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 you're not living up to the covenant. You're not calling people to worship Yahweh only. You're letting idolatry happen. And so prophets are going to speak into the church or the, 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 the faith or the leaders of faith. I think that they should, prophets need to be speaking into the church as a whole and not just like, we're going to get this, we're going to get this, life's going to be good, life's going to be good, life's going to, but say, what is this supposed to look like as a community of faith? And so we see Elijah is one of these, and he's a covenant keeper, okay? So he's a covenant keeper. We'll also see a lot of people coming in and out because they're cooking right now. Don't worry about it. But they call out idolatry and injustice in the kings, and people of Israel, we see this, the prophets were challengers of the people. And so this brings us to Elijah. And Elijah is kind of a wild man. There's no other way to describe it. Elijah is a wild man. Most prophets are. And his name means my God is Yahweh. And Elijah lives out in the desert. And so what we see is that, every, that he has these arch nemesis. Everyone needs a good arch nemesis. I say that all the time. If you don't have a good arch nemesis, you need to figure one out. I'm currently in the market for a good arch nemesis. I don't have one. I've had many throughout my life. Oh, okay, sorry. Oh, Jason, you want to be one? You'd be a great arch nemesis because you're nice. But what we see is that there's this nemesis. And in the northern kingdom, it's King Ahab, and he has a wife named Jezebel. And what we see is she's Canaanite. And Ahab, we know a couple things about him. Number one, he ruled for 22 years. So he ruled for a long time, but it says that Ahab was really special, or at least that's what my mom said every time that I got sent home from school for messing up. Because he was, it says here that he, he's known for three things. He married Jezebel. He's also described as more evil than any kings before him. So it's a pretty thing to live up to. And it also says that he did more to arouse the anger of the Lord than all kings before him. And we see that Jezebel is to blame for that. He married a Canaanite, and she brings in the worship of Baal. And so other faiths come in, and it starts to look wonkish, right? And so Elijah comes in 1 Kings 17.1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishba and Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. 
Most historians believe that this is three years, that this is going to be three years that this is going to go on. And so what we're going to see is that the rest of the stories, and we're going to lay this out, there's drought happening in the land. That is significant to the rest of the story, that there's drought. And so it's, things are going to be tough for the people that are living in here. So uh, verse 2 and 6. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the, the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. This is what's happening. Now you see, Elijah's first mission is to simply tell the king, yo, there's going to be a drought, but then the Lord helps him, and he tells him to go to this area. Now what we see is this is Elijah's first training ground, right? We oftentimes see this, and I want to be very clearly on this. If you serve the Lord, sometimes, most oftentimes, your life actually doesn't necessarily get easier. It actually gets harder in some ways. But the Lord comes through for you in miraculous ways. I was mad about the air conditioning. It's a miracle to see Dan Larson and Stacy and Diego sticking their arm into a, we turned it off, don't worry for all that stuff, but sticking and trying to get ice in there. Like miracles happen and it's amazing to see that the Lord brings these people in to fulfill on miracles. And what he's going to see here is that he's going to have a brook that's going to feed or give water and then he's going to get these ravens to give him bread and meat. This is so crazy. And so what we see is this is a training ground. Elijah obeys, and we see this is the first time that he's building up his faith muscles. Now, there's two things that are a miracle about this story. Number one, on a normal year, uh, Brent, you go to uh, Israel all the time. You probably see this. But on a normal year, creeks and brooks, like, they're really non-existent within, within Israel. Like, just in general, it's a desert. So a brook and a creek, it's only during, like, really rainy season that it's even moving. During a drought, it would definitely not be moving. And there would be, like, any place that there's pools or there's water, they would be non-existent. So it's a miracle that the brook's coming in general. And then the second miracle is these ravens bringing food. Now, there's a few things that I hate more than crows. And ravens are in the crow family. I looked this up to make sure that was good. It's in the crow family. I hate crows, the squawking, the bros. I was, the well, first time I moved here, we don't really have crows in Indiana like we do here, which is weird to think, but we just don't. But you have the, we have the loudest crows here in the world. And they are the dirtiest crows in the world. And so my first year moving here, I slept in this uh, apartment and, you know, there's no air conditioning. So I had the window open the first summer I was here and I lived right by this trash can. It's a long story. I was very broke. And, uh, and, and a crow came, and a crow thought he was a rooster or something, and he just squawked over and over again. They are the nastiest birds. If I would have had a pellet gun or something, I would have taken care of it because this thing on the clock at 5.30 in the morning would come and squawk into my room. I hate them more than anything. And what you see with Elijah is that ravens are scavenger birds, and they're going to eat dead things. That's what they do. And Israelites would have hated ravens. They would have been like us. They would have hated. These would have been dirty birds. Like, this is not what you want. Elijah would have probably, if I was Elijah, complained about it. 
but the Lord is going to build up his faith muscles through these stupid birds, and so he's going to bring food through the birds and brooks that are empty to bring water. And then he's going to go further, and the brook's going to run out, and he's going to have to go. And what he's going to say is the Lord's going to say, and widows in the middle of, and a widow in the middle of a drought are, not, are going to provide for you. The poorest of the poor is going to provide for you. So he, the brooks run out. The ravens aren't bringing food, so he's supposed to go to this wid- widow. And so we see 1 Kings 17, 10 through 12. When he came to the town gates, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he, call- he called and said, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord our God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. This is where she's at. She's not being pessimistic. This is just the facts. This is the reality. A widow would have been poor in general. A widow in a drought would have been very, very poor. And so she has just a handful of flour and a little bit of oil, and that's it. And I'm not a, I don't know how to cook. If anybody knows me, all my friends and my family, I literally don't know how to make anything, anything, anything. I always say, this is a bad joke, but I always say, if, Meg, if anything happens to you, I'm moving in with your mother or one of your sisters within 24 hours because I will starve to death. I don't know how to cook. I clean the dishes. I do all that stuff, but like, macaroni is even difficult for me. Just so you know, like I didn't bring anything today, Meg did. But what we see is that a handful of flour is not a lot. We know that. And, and what she's saying is, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she's giving him this formal oath. She's saying, this is the truth. I'm not hiding anything from you. The Lord is going to have to do something because all I want in my, fleshly, uh, in my flesh is to just go home cook one last meal, and my son and I just die. That's what, that's what it's going to be. And so what she does is she obeys because she's obedient to Elijah, tells her to prepare food. And Elijah said for, to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then making some for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord that Elijah spoke. This is a truism of life. If you don't get anything from the sermon, get this. No matter what you're going through, no matter where your luck is, no matter how destitute it feels, when the Lord is in it and the Lord is calling you to obedience, just say yes. Nothing builds up your faith muscles when this happens. When you don't have enough money, when you don't have much time, and you don't have any skills for it, and yet you feel the Lord's in it and you just say yes, he's going to build up his faith muscles. And that's what he's doing for the widow right now is he's building up her faith muscles. And I'm telling you, if you build these up, your faith endurance will skyrocket. You know, we've been, uh, we've been pushing as an elder team. We have this new expense and this new craziness of a building, and we have been talking over and over again, 
How are we doubling down on caring for those outside of this building? How are we keeping from this building all consuming us, but rather pushing to giving more and more to the community and trying to think of how do we do this and how do we bless others? That's where our heart is. And what we say is we don't have really a lot of money. We don't really have a lot of time because we're trying to build this building. And we're trying to figure out the skills to do the most impact. But we're saying, Lord, we know that that's where your heart is. Not that your heart isn't in the building, but your heart is what the building can do for this community. And so that's where our heart is. And so we're saying, build up our faith muscles, Lord. We're not sure how this is going to work, but build up our faith muscles. And each one of us on the elder team are just saying, we need to just keep pressing in this, building up our faith muscles. And we see here that she's obedient and the jug of flour and the oil never runs out. That's important to note that this woman would have been from the same place that Jezebel was, okay? And so what we see is that she probably had Baal. That was probably her God. And Baal was supposed to be the God that sustained all things, right? And so she's not necessarily, there's a lot of widows in Israel, but that's not who God sends uh, Elijah to. And so this woman is basically seeing this, and she's basically getting revealed that Yahweh is the provider of all things, and what we see is that, of course, we're supposed to tell people about Jesus. Of course, we're supposed to tell people about God. But our faith and our calling people to faith and our calling people to follow and serve the Lord and seeing our faith will most likely be more attractive or more inspiring or will lead them more to following Jesus. Is a great reminder that we show people Jesus. We let people experience Jesus. We, part of our faith journeys, Instead of freaking out, as we keep stepping in faith, and what we see is that people get revealed more and more of Jesus. And so now Elijah is living his life, and keep in mind that he's a prophet of God. But instead of just living this luxurious life, we see he's living by a brook for years, getting fed by ravens. He's going to a widow who has nothing, not the most glamorous life, and then the widow's son dies. The widow's son dies. And so these are faith muscles. If I was Elijah, and Elijah actually will kind of freak out. He's like, what is going on? Like, I am just on this journey, and I do not know what is going to happen next. And so he says, give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. And then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? It's okay for us to question sometimes. It's okay for us to say, like, God, what is going on? Why is this happening? Why would you let this son die? She was obedient to you. And he stretched himself out to the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let the boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry. The boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. This is a tough challenge for Elijah. He looks and he questions. He's like, the question can be summed up like this. Why? God, why? Like this woman did exactly what you wanted her to. Why would her son die as well? And Elijah knows the tough life that this woman's facing. And so Elijah cries out to the Lord. And there's two important things that happen that will explain the continuation of Elijah's story. One, God is using this challenge to build up Elijah and the widow's faith. I've always found it amazing that God has the ability 
to build up multiple people's faith in the same challenge. If we don't understand that, it's a true. If in, whenever we're going through a challenge, oftentimes he's moving and grooving multiple people. One of the worst things, and I'm just going to call it out because I see it a lot in this church, and I see it a lot in churches. When you're going through hard things, you pull away from the faith community rather than leading into the faith community. You are really making a challenge because the Lord most often wants to bring other people into your story and together build up your faith muscles. It's not like when I get my life in order, your life's never going to get in order if you go that route. It's just going to be clear. Heck, my life's not in order half the time. But pulling away from the faith community, pulling away from community doesn't build up your faith. It actually just leaves it to a place where you are very vulnerable to leading. But instead, you lean in. You say, I can't do this. My, the widow, my son's dead. I don't even know what to do. And some of us get to come alongside you. And some of us get to say, why, God? Why? Why would you do this? And then in faith, pray and lay ourselves down and walk alongside you and say, Lord, what do you want to do in this situation? What do you want to do for Elijah? What do you want to do for the widow? At the same time, they're working together. And what we see is that her son dies and she rebukes the prophet, but then the Lord comes through and she sees that it's the Lord, not Baal, who sustains life. And outside of this place and even within the church, we have to remind people over and over again that it's not small G gods that sustain life that you put your hope in. It's not security. It's not money. It's not intelligence. It's not the government. It's the Lord God who sustains your life. And our faith journeys get to show people that. Our faith walks show to our community much more than our words. Elijah is getting confirmed by the Lord at the same time. So the widow's faith is getting built up, but Elijah's getting confirmed by the Lord. His prophetic word and his works are being confirmed by the Lord. If he had any questions about him, he's building up those faith muscles. He's saying, I actually can do this. Sometimes in challenges are the only time that we see specific spiritual giftings that the Lord has given to us. We'd rather it be in easy times that we get these spiritual giftings because that's just easier. But sometimes when it's, we're backed up against the ropes, we don't know what's going to go on. We pray a little bit differently. We have a little bit of spiritual giftings. We start seeing visions of the future. We start hearing uh, words from the Lord. We start getting these spiritual giftings that are like, whoa, this is crazy. I didn't ask him for this, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, say it. Forgive me, brother. Jonathan, at our last prayer meeting, can you come, or two prayer meetings again, he's like, he comes up and apologizes to me. He just starts praying out loud. He just is going for it. And I know Jonathan. I know his cadence. I know uh, him and I spend a lot of time together. And it is from the Lord, not Jonathan. He's saying things that, like, not normal vocab vocabulary for him. He's saying things with, uh, with direction, and he's saying things with authority that I'm like, dude, it literally, and I know who was blessing. He didn't know who's blessing. Welcome to being the pastor of a church. I know all things. Not really, but I know what people are struggling with, and it's blessing somebody on the other side of the room. Other people aren't really, they're like, oh, he's just going for it. This is weird. And then you look over, and there's another person, and they're just in tears because they're like, man, this is what I have always said. I don't believe that the Lord is all those things that that dude just said. But then that dude's like, hey, this is what the Lord did for me because I was in the, I was in the wrecks. And she's like, man, if that happened to him, then it must be happening to me. And it's all to confirm things. It's in the struggle 
that the Lord uses us and our spiritual giftings oftentimes than when it's just easy. We want to when it's easy, but sometimes he just is going to give us extra measure, like Elijah bringing a kid. A kid. I don't know. That's just crazy. So he just raises this kid. But the Lord is preparing Elijah to now his last step. I promise we're almost done. He's, he's preparing Elijah to confront Ahab, the worst of the worst kings, all the prophets of Baal, Ahab's evil wife Jezebel, and while he's at it, all the worshipers of Baal. I complained about an air conditioner not working. And what we see is that this is what the Lord has prepared Elijah for. So Elijah leaves the widow and now is hiding from Ahab and Jezebel. Because Jezebel has said, I'm going to kill every Israelite prophet. So there's like a hundred prophets still alive. And there's this dude named Obadiah who is basically putting him up into these caves and hiding all the other, uh, other uh, prophets. And Elijah finally is good. He's like, I got to confront this angry Ahab. And so 1 Kings 18.16. So Obadiah met, went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troublemaker or you troubler of Israel? Okay, sometimes in our challenges, sometimes there's opportunities to grow our faith. We just have to deal with difficult people. Sometimes the greatest challenges in our life are dealing with people like King Ahab, where you just got to deal with difficult people. And what we see is that they're either straight lying or they perceive the situation differently, okay? And so this is going to happen. But what happens oftentimes is that speak, people speak into you false identities. Ahab is doing that. He's saying, Elijah hasn't done anything to cause trouble in Israel. But he's saying, you troubler of Israel. He's calling him a fake identity. He's calling him a face identity. You cannot fully grow in what the Lord has for you if you believe false identities and word curses over your life. You can't. Many people in this room need freedom from this. Many of you have situations right now where people are saying something about you that is false, and you begin to believe it. Or a loved one, a, a, uh, a mother, or a father, or a grandparent, or a brother, or a sister, or a loved one anyway, says something that curses you or some false identity. Mine over and over again is that I'm a hyperactive kid. I over and over again that I would that until I got my hyperactivity down, I would never succeed. And 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 it was over and over and over again. I am just an energizer bunny. Everyone knows that. If you see me at 6 a.m. or you see me at 10 p.m., you're getting the same current, which is this up on stage, speaking very fast and going really hard. But what we see is that it was a word curse and a false identity that I had to just get rid of because I thought my whole life I wasn't going to amount to anything. And I kept thinking, I kept reading every ADHD book. I kept reading, like, asking my mom for medicine and all this stuff. She never would. But I was told over and over again by teachers and grandparents and everyone that this was just going to be the thorn in my side. And I still believe it to this day. But if you took on a false identity... If Elijah takes on this false identity, he's like, man, I, what did I do to Israel? What did I do? If he takes on that false identity, he will never step in to what the Lord fully has for him. And your faith muscles will not grow, but instead they'll get weaker. If you believe a false identity, if you have a word curse on your life, you will get weaker. You will not get stronger. Because every time that you believe that, the devil will take it and he will say, you are not going to step into your true identity. 
So what we see is 1 Kings 18. I have not made trouble for Israel, he calls it out, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the, followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah and who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If, it's, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Elijah takes command here. Elijah's like, whoa, 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 you're not doing that. I'm taking command here. He ordered Ahab to get all the prophets of Baal and meet him at Mount Carmel. And what we say is that he's the only prophet left in Israel. It's him versus 450 of Baal and Asherah. So all the rest are up in the mountains hiding. And he's the one stepping out. And it's like, this is do or die time, all right? And so what we see is the people come, and they're also coming to witness this confrontation. confrontation. And Elijah goes on, because it's all in. Get two bowls for us. Let the Baal's prophets choose one for themselves, and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of, the God, of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. They prepared the bowl. And let's skip to verse 26. Then they called on the name of Baal from the morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response, no answer. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. It's great. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is a deep, and perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling, maybe. Maybe he is sleeping and needs to be awakened. Elijah starts smack-talking these prophets. He's straight-up smack-talking. Why does he do this? Because he's seen God move in profound ways. He's coming off of just raising a little kid from death, right? This is like, he's like, all of our stories, all of the things that we've seen God come through, all the little things and the big things that we've seen God come through with us, he will use in the future for when we're doing bigger things for God. Not because we have to do bigger things for God, but God, as we build up those faith muscles, he's going to give us new challenges to confront people who are not yet believing. And what we see is that his faith muscles are, are, are built up. And I love this because he's throwing shade at these dudes. He's saying, these are false gods. We call it out. When we see people serving false gods, we call it out. Yeah. We call it out. Yeah. Elijah can say this because he serves the one true God who is never too busy who is everywhere, so he's never traveling, who never sleeps, and who knows all, so he can't, doesn't have to be awakened. This is the God that we serve, and so he's saying, I know this about the Lord, and I know that that's not true about Baal. So he's going to smack talk, but he's going to be like, everything that's false about Baal is actually true about my Yahweh, right? He's not too busy, he's everywhere, and he's ready to go, and here's the moral of the story, we serve the same God. So the prophets of Baal are pleading and they're trying with their, their hardest. And yet they see over and over again and nothing. Now it's Elijah's turn. And Elijah took 12 stones, one from each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel with the stones. He built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. 
the water ran out and around the altar and even filled the trench. Keep in mind, this is during a drought. So he's just saying, like, let's go for this. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. He said this, The Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God, that you are turning their hearts back again. This is his desire. To glorify God and to turn their hearts back, not for him to look good, but for God to look good and for these people's hearts to be turned back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil. And they also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah takes 12 stones and he rebuilds this altar. Now Jezebel probably had this altar torn down because she was purging the land of Yahweh. She was purging the land of the Lord. And what we see is that he prays these powerful prayers. And notice how he prays. Elijah recalls the stories of God in the past. He said, this is who you are, Lord. You are the God of Abraham, and you are the Lord of Isaac, and you are the Lord of Israel. This is who you are. And then he focuses it. He prays and recalls and remembers the ways that God has worked in the past, and he focuses it on God's power, not on his power. It's all about God's power. And what we see is Elijah asks him to reveal himself and reveal his glory to show others that God is real and that it's his glory. And we see Elijah's prayer is answered. All of, our, all of the challenges, he's doing the same thing for us. For in the middle of it, we just don't know how it's going to work. We have no idea how this is going to work. If there's a situation, we simply do this. God, I know who you are. I know what you've done in the past. I know what you've done in my past. I know what you've done in the past as Lord Yahweh of all people. And Lord, I want your glory to be revealed in this situation. And I think that's such a powerful prayer. He's building up our faith muscles that way. And in end here, Jay, you can come on up. 1 Peter 4.12, dear friends, do not be surprised in the fiery ordeal that have come on you and test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Peter is telling us that we are to expect suffering. We are Christ's followers. But what happens is we live in a world where we still face hardships. We're going to get sickness. We're going to get disease. We're going to get pain. There's going to be times of uncertainty in our lives. There's going to be gossip. There's going to be famines. There's going to be droughts. We're to expect it. But what we see is that Jesus suffered. So how do we think that we're going to be able to avoid it? And part of the faith journey, and part of the reasons that we're so apathetic, part of the reasons that we don't want to build up that lactic acid is because we try to make this faith as easy as possible. But when challenges come, when suffering comes, oftentimes we haven't got the lactic acid build up to really know what to do with it. And so what we see is that Jesus suffered and notice the, that, that, that Peter describes these sufferings that will test us. He calls it a fiery ordeal. When we face these things, we are like metal put into a fire that shapes us and makes us the way that he wants us to look and removes anything that's far away from God. That's what's happening in our trials. This is a reference to the refinement that, 
the challenges that he's going to give us, but we are to build up our faith muscles, to build up our faith lactic acid intolerance, not to quit the fart lick run halfway through. Because if you do, you're going to hit that wall. You just are. But as you build up those faith muscles and that tolerance, things change. We experience the challenges and sufferings as Christians. We are identifying with Jesus. We have to understand that. When we are living this out, we're identifying with Jesus. We are taking on the identity of Jesus. This is amazing. This is a refinement that is taking place, and we're building up our faith muscles, but we're building up our faith resilience as well. And we see that suffering of Christ begin when we suffer for Christ and in Christ, we actually start to look more like him. We often think of the opposite. We look at when our life is perfect, when our life is easy, that must be when we're figuring out this faith thing. That must be when we're living right. That must be when things are easy, that that's exactly where the Lord wants us. But the Lord is actually saying, no, no, no. Actually, when I give you these challenges, when you have suffering, when you have pain, when you have ways that you need me, I am refining you like fire. And I'm making you more like me than you were before. And so Peter believes and calls out believers to find joy in those trials and suffering, which is counterintuitive than what we know.